0: So you educate the frontline, but you don't educate the people who are supposed to be helping them and training them and being a resource for them. It's almost wasted money. In a lot of cases, it is wasted money because I know the way that I train is about building relationships and doing all this stuff. Okay, well, if they're not gonna be able to get support for that, the company just spent a whole bunch of money that they're gonna get no return from because the sales firm is not gonna be allowed to conduct themselves in that way.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Diane Helbig. Diane's a business advisor, podcast host, and author of the book titled Succeed Without Selling. The more you think about selling, the less you will sell. And in today's conversation, Diane and I talk about her book and dig into her premise that the more you think about selling, the less you actually will sell, which, when you think about it, makes some sense. So we dive into what it actually means to sell. And Diane and I are certainly on the same page when she says that selling is not about persuading, convincing, or conjoling a buyer into taking action. Diane believes that the ABCs of sales have changed, and it's certainly not about always be closing. So we explore some of the key ways she believes that sales has changed or needs to change, including that selling needs to be fun. We don't talk about that often enough, and amen to that. Selling needs to be fun, especially if you want to make a career of it. We also explore why sellers need to become more choosy, more selective about who they sell to. Diane writes about this in her book, and being selective about who you sell to can have an amazing impact on your productivity and the outcomes you achieve. So we'll get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Diane, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. All right, let's jump into it with Diane. Diane, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Andy.
1: So we have a bit of a history about this. You know, we started recording this. People don't know we started recording this, and then you were hit by like the storm of a lifetime or something, and uh, your power went out. <laughs> and so here we are again, trying, trying yes. for time round two.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you know, clear skies and it's cooler here today. So.
1: All right. So no threat to the power grid. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Clear and clear sailing here as well. So we're good.
0: Excellent.
1: Good. Well, we're we're going to talk about your book, a book titled Succeed Without Selling. I should put more emphasis on that. Succeed Without Selling. The more you think about selling, the less you will sell. So, obviously a very intriguing title. Um, Before we dive into that, what was was the driving force behind the, the book?
0: So, the driving force was that I was watching way too many small business owners and salespeople sell in the traditional sense of the word, and not get results that they were looking for because selling doesn't work. People don't like to be sold. They don't like salespeople. So I thought, you know what? i, I got to write a book and share what people should be doing, how they should be approaching other people in a way that actually gets results.
1: Okay. I like it so far. Um <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the lessons in the book extend beyond just you know, small business entrepreneurs, and so on. I mean, it's sort of universal lessons. So um, you sort of took us through that. So what does selling really mean, right? I mean, let's, yes. let's start with the definition of terms because I, you know, if I ask a group of people I'm speaking to, which I've done in the past, is yeah, what is selling? You always know, comes up with some some. Combination of the answer, well, it's about persuading the buyer to buy our product, or yeah, you know, something sort of like that. Which it's not the way I look at, but I'm curious how, how you look at it.
0: So I don't look at it that way either. The way I look at it is that selling is about matching a solution to a problem, and that so it's really about building relationships, and so that uh, when the buyer needs what you have to sell. That you're the one they go to because they trust you because you've built the relationship because you weren't trying to convince them. I think traditionally, uh, and I'm not surprised that a group of people would say about persuasion, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, okay, but if I could just convince them Mm -hmm. that they need, you know, that this is the best thing since sliced bread. It's like, okay, but you can't and you don't want to because then you're talking them into something. And that's not what it, it is. That's where buyer's remorse comes from.
1: Well, yeah, I think even before that, I mean, so I mean, you write in the book, right? You can't persuade, convince, or cajole people, and but that's that's how we socialize sellers, right? That's how we train sellers. This is yes, the perspective we is. give them. This is your job, as if this right. is the the persona you have to assume, right? And. I had a guest on the show last year named Jonah Berger. He's written a book called The Catalyst. He's a professor at Wharton. And it's about persuasion, if you will. And a good book. And not that we necessarily agreed on everything, but but he cites research in there that says that that yep, humans <laughs> almost universally resist being persuaded. That when they feel like someone's trying to persuade them to do something, he called it persuasion reactance. But the defenses go up. It's just natural, right? We just, somebody, (laughs) we feel somebody's trying to persuade us to do something. We just, you know, put our guard up. Right. And so if that's your MO that you're going, you know, leading into the conversation with, then you're off to kind of a rough start.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's exactly right. You're not getting what you're shooting for, right? Because they're going in the other direction. So.
1: But yet, again, to my point before, that's. I know. That that's how we train people, and this is, yeah, I've been thinking about this and writing about this recently. Is that, and other people talk about you know cringeworthy behaviors that sellers adopt and so on, and I like to lump them under the category of being salesy, right? As, mm-hmm. as you know, no customer in the world has ever asked a seller to be more salesy, right? So we we train sellers generally in behaviors that the buyers find no value in, and. Wow. So how do we how do we change that? Right? It's it's a more I know it's great you're writing books and I'm writing books and I know lots of people are talking about this, but but this idea of of how we approach people and this sort of sales behavior, this is yeah. not innate human behavior. We're this is learned behavior, um, and so it's like well, so I guess the first challenge is just how do we get people just to act like themselves?
0: Well, I think it starts with the trainers. And the sales managers, or you know, the the bosses, have to realize that what supposedly worked forty years ago does not work now. I mean, well, it didn't you know, work like, then
1: either. Just I know,
0: FYI. I know, <laughs> FYI, I know, it
1: didn't work then either. Yes,
0: I know it didn't. But there were people who supposedly were successful with it, and so they would get promoted to sales manager, and then they would go and force people to behave in ways that didn't, you know, wasn't comfortable and didn't work. And everyone would sit around and go, okay, well, that guy's just not a good salesman. It's like, no, you're teaching them something that is ineffective. So I think everyone has to realize that, you know, if you want to believe that that works in the past, go ahead, but it doesn't work now. And the world has changed. And what the buyer wants is to be able to trust the person they're going to be buying from. They want a relationship with them. They want to be able to trust them. And they, and, you know, to your point about this resistance, they're not going to trust someone who's trying to convince them of something. So it's a mindset shift. I mean, people, it's a paradigm shift. People are going to have to change their thought process so they can change their behavior.
1: Yeah, well, I, I agree. But it's interesting, you, know, you use the words relationships and trust, and and so I've on LinkedIn recently run some polls. You know, LinkedIn's full of polls these days. we yes, poll nation. And but we had some good engagement because one of them was about, okay, um, are relationships important in sales? And you know, there's a lot of people these days, a distinct minority still, but you know, a number of people that think. Yeah, relationships aren't important, and I, and I think it's because they they only can think about relationship in terms of being a friendship, but uh, which is not the case. And no, business. right. But and then we ran one last week, uh, last week or maybe the week before, about how important is trust in sales, and yeah, it was pretty universal that 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 people believed that it was. I mean, the is, you know. I forget what the exact final number was, but uh wasn't unanimous though. And surprisingly, you know, people, some very strongly saying, yeah, well, yeah. You know, trust. You don't need trust. You don't need trust. Yeah, you, know, you can make a decision without trust. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I wonder how they think that.
0: And and do they think does it depend on what they're buying?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, worked on B2B more complex as opposed to transactional. Right, going to a retail store or just something transactional you might buy for your company. I mean, right. I, I mean, do I need? Well, even think about it, you could say, sort of, okay. Do I need trust to buy, you know, pens or you know, a whiteboard or something? But the choice of who you choose to buy it from probably has some element of trust in there, right? Can they deliver it it does. on time? Will I get the it right does. product? Yeah. So yeah,
0: right. I just don't think people are. Connecting the dots. I don't think. I think if they thought about how they buy, they would probably realize that trust is a factor. There's still people out there who don't really care about the relationship. I I do believe, like they just want to. They're going to make their decision. They're going to buy something. They don't need the relationship. They don't need the trust. But they also don't need someone trying to convince them of something because they're going to head into it knowing. What they're going to buy, who they're going to buy it from, at, at what price. I mean, you know, there, there's definitely those people, yeah. but that is so not the norm.
1: Yeah, it's funny. One commenter on that the poll we ran was said, "Look, I don't need to trust the seller. I just need to believe that their product can do what they said it would do." And I'm like, thinking to myself, I didn't respond <laughs> to it. I was Like, isn't that trust? <laughs> isn't isn't belief trust? <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. yeah. It
0: could have something to do with definitions. <laughs> then,
1: right? Well, I think that's, sometimes these arguments really get wrapped around the axle of, of definitions, and relationships are being one of them. Yeah. And so I say, fine. You know, in like my new book I've <laughs> got coming out early next year, I'm not sure I use the word relationships, just connection. You need to have a uh-huh. human connection with someone, <laughs> and just sort of try to diffuse that argument before it even gets started, because... Yeah,
0: because <laughs> you know it's common.
1: Well, I think it's a way for people to sort of muddy the waters, right? Is, uh-huh. is to talk about that. And and I find it curious the people that seem most uneasy about this idea of having the importance of a relationship or a connection with a buyer, uh, uh, importance of being personable, being likable. Yeah, I, just, I think there are people who are just sort of uncomfortable with the concepts in general. And there are these suite of things that require no effort on your part, yet right. make a difference. And yeah, I've had long Yeah, discussion. but Andy,
0: for some people, it may require effort on their part. If, Honestly, if they're not... Yeah. Good point. If, right? I mean, if they're not naturally sociable, if they're uncomfortable you know, if they're socially awkward or whatever, then yeah, that's going to take some work for them to engage in behaviors that are not comfortable for them.
1: Well, I think that's a, that's a key point though, right? Is, is yeah, absolutely. You don't, you don't need to be an extrovert. You don't need to be, uh, yeah, I'm more on the introvert side of the equation than the extrovert, maybe, you know, in the middle somewhere ambivert. Um, so it doesn't always come easy for me and I'm yeah, I've remember early in my career just envying the people that just made it look so easy when they met someone and engaged in conversation with them. And I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I could be that person, right? Not all of them obviously were successful, but the <laughs> <Just that, just laughs> they thing. just
0: look like they were.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. But um, the point is, yeah, everybody has their own path. Yes. And, and I think this is the thing that, that gets lost today is you know, yeah, you listen to a podcast like this, and you hear you know, nearly a thousand people come on the show, and we talk about a variety of topics, and everybody is pretty convinced about the rightness of their <laughs> their opinions. <laughs> but the fact is that I believe very strongly that everybody succeeds in their own way, that the people who I are most it, yeah. consistent in their success, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about the mythical top performers, because yeah, the people that often point to as top performers, yeah, people don't realize that they have ups and downs just like everybody else. Some years they're top performers, some years they're not. But the people who are consistently good is right. the ones that I, I think are the most valuable. They've come up with their own way. I'm and I think this gets lost in the, the conversation. That. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I
0: agree. Right. Right. Because someone wants them to do it a certain way, wants them to behave in a certain way, and I completely agree with you. It 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 is most resonant and most genuine when the person is themselves, when they figure out their own way of engaging, way mm-hmm. of communicating with people. Definitely.
1: Yeah, and and I sort of rail oftentimes to get sort of the way. Sales is taught and trained oftentimes these days because it's so much about compliance to a method and compliance to a process. Mm-hmm. And process is important. Methods are yeah. important. You need, to, you need to always be learning. But yeah. you need to take those things and meld it into what is you. right? Not yes. how you yes. sell and resist the things that don't feel uh, aligned with who you are because there's a reason that salespeople are churning at <laughs> really high rates yeah. in, in many companies and yeah. many sales jobs yes because they're being asked to do things that just it's not the making a call that's not what yeah sure that's no. uncomfortable for a lot of people but you learn how to deal with that or right. it's it's not the the mm-hmm. thing itself it's how you do it yes. that's really i think creating a lot of stress creating a lot of mental health issues in sales because it's like people think well, I, I, there should be a way to make this work and this your way boss just doesn't work
0: right right so the boss has to step off and realize as long as they're getting results, the boss shouldn't care how they're doing it. Like the goal is to get the results. As long as it's ethical and moral and legal, you know, the boss shouldn't care if if the salesperson is doing it in their own way and they're not getting results. Then it's the sales manager's responsibility to work with them and provide resources for them, but not try and pigeonhole them into a methodology that isn't natural and, and isn't going to work
1: for that individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're- I mean, I like people ask me, sir, what, you know, what, like I was a consultant and and talked to a CEO. Yeah, we'd have a great conversation. You get to the VP of sales, and it's always like, well, what methodology are you, know, what, because we want to make sure we have a common language. And it's like, yeah, I'm a little bit contrarian. I'm not sure the common language is, you develop your common language within the company, not based on methodology, what things that you're doing. And, uh, yeah. Don't handcuff your people with that.
0: And that's part of the struggle. I mean, for me, I, I it sounds like it is for you too, that that if you can't get the leadership, you can get the CEO to do, but but if you can't get the sales manager to step off of this, you know, we all march in the same way, it it's difficult to get salespeople to be successful consistently because you're asking them to engage in behaviors that are uncomfortable. And and unnatural, and so even when they try them, they don't do it well. Yeah. If you know, if they try it at all, they they just
1: yeah. I mean, at some point, work and user experiences certainly. I have is Yeah, you, know, you, you learn new things to push you outside your comfort zone. That's great. Sure. But uh, yeah, and my career I made a point of not doing the other things <laughs> to the consternation of of bosses often. But if you deliver.
0: Right. And
1: right. and I think this is this becomes the push pull as managers have to feel mm-hmm. comfortable that if they give somebody some leeway,
0: that's things right. may not
1: be optimized for a month or two or yes. three. But
0: yes. that's right.
1: Yeah, eventually someone given the right support, it's not like sales is you know, brain surgery or whatever, mm-hmm. is you know, reasonably intelligent people are properly motivated and you know in, intrinsically motivated. Right. can find a way to, to make it work and connect with other oh, human yeah. beings because you know the the core skills that we all mm-hmm. need are actually I said are innate behaviors to human
0: right right. Well, that's a trust thing too, right The sales manager has to be able to trust.
1: Well, they have a lot of pressures on them obviously. yeah um, true. Uh, yeah, and there's a number of businesses, you know, industry segments, and so on, where this is this is becoming kind of acute because the change is needed, but the pressures and such from <laughs> the markets and and investors and so on are such that yeah, you know, doing a down quarter doesn't really to readjust things doesn't really enter the equation.
0: I know, but do you think? See, I think that if they could adopt a. a practice and a policy of really supporting people in developing their own way, they they might have, you know, maybe one or two difficult quarters, but once people get going with a methodology that works for them and and they're motivated, I don't know that they're going to have major downward swings you know it feels like you know you just you have to take the pain now in order to be able to fix it later and no one wants to take the time to be right. in pain now
1: well yeah exactly what well, i think another part of this is and this is just part of the equation that that is difficult for companies is that people come up to speed at different rates yeah. whether it's a, a new hire or whether it's somebody that's brought into the company from a different environment and there seems to be very little tolerance for, for deviation from that. So, hey, we've yeah. got a 90-day onboarding program. We expect you to be up to speed at the end of 90 days. It's like, seriously, really? <laughs> Since when? If, they, if I had been judged by that measure in my first job, I'd, I would have had a series of first jobs because it took them much longer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> To but then once I got it, I got it. Things happen right. very quickly. Yeah, I remember. There's something I read recently about a, and everybody listens to the show. Knows I'm a big soccer fan, but there's a professional uh, soccer team in Europe that's done a study, and they found out that the average player requires 35 uh, games at a high level of competition for them to be able to discern sort of a whether they've got it or not, whether they're going to be able to. To do it or not, whether and so because they find about that thirty-five game, thirty-fifth game, is it kicks into the player. They have that aha moment. Okay, now I understand my role. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, and it's like, yeah, that's a lot, right? So, we haven't really, we've implied, we've imposed a number on sellers, ninety days, but I've never really, I've not seen a study that says, well, on average, this is how long it takes. To get it, not to not to be educated, yeah. not to be yeah. trained, but to have that aha moment that we all have had in sales.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't know about you. But I'm speaking for myself, but I presume sure. you as well. Yes. Where I remember, so my first year. I mean, there've been multiple aha moments, but uh-huh. <laughs> the first job in sales. Yeah, it's like I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. nine months in. I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm starting to get it. Uh, yeah, a yeah. couple successes. Uh, you know. Watching other people do things—it's uh, just like in every sort of job I've been in. If it's you know if I'm leveling up into a new responsibility or yeah. or so on, I had those those moments, and it, right, it wasn't a fixed time.
0: No, it's not, and so then that feels arbitrary, which doesn't help either because employees. Don't like arbitrary decisions, and if they feel like a you know a, a line in the sand or a decision that's being made that impacts them is arbitrary, they're less connected to it. They're they're less motivated to reach it right. because, you know, it's not tethered to anything meaningful.
1: Well, yeah, and this is the thing that that <laughs> yeah always sort of gets me because research is pretty clear: is so you give people agency in the decisions they make that they're more likely to make better decisions and more likely to follow up and follow through on the decisions they make and this has been studied in the military it's been discovered in senior living situations or <laughs> in terms of people making choices about where they live and taking their medications and so i mean yeah. it's just this is this is known right so you yeah. think in the sales world as a sales manager, you don't say, well, yeah, I can force you to follow this process and this other. Or assuming you're experienced, right? This is, you know,
0: yeah.
1: is is and you can make some choices. Yeah, I'm willing to I'm gonna give you some some leeway here. because um, I know that if you find the way that works for you, it's gonna be killer, right? You're just gonna you're gonna ring it. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So really, you know, it, when when you asked the question earlier about what does it take to change this, it takes a different mindset for leadership to, allow, to to open up the gates and allow people to be who they are in their most genuine form. So this is what's so hard for salespeople is they feel this struggle. They know that they can do certain things. They know the impact that they have, and they can't get anyone to listen to them. And give them the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the problem is not necessarily with the salespeople.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, it's it's so we're talking about sales management. They've yeah. got their own unique set of pressures, starting with mm-hmm. the fact that yeah, they haven't been well trained. They haven't been given the tools mm-hmm. and the resources. They've been put into a job and assumptions right. made. That they know how to do certain things, which is right you know, hugely unfair to them. Yeah. But it does also boil down to what you're talking about, this leadership. Yeah. You know, so increasingly, what I'm dividing the world of sales management into two camps: sales okay. leaders, sales uh-huh. bosses. Yeah. You can be a boss, wow. or you can be a leader. Wow. And, and unfortunately, we have too right. many bosses, right? Yes,
0: we do. Yes. So
1: do what I want. Do it this way. Uh, the only thing that's important, really, are the metrics. You're not doing enough activity, as opposed to a leader yeah. who is. Well, let me get to know you. What's 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 most important for you? What's the most important thing that you want to accomplish in your career in your life? And how can I help you get that? That's a leader, and and this dichotomy plays out very strongly. And
0: yeah, every day.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to make it a thing. So people, (laughs) this is everybody listening. This is we're trying to make this a thing. Is I'm with you. Are you working for a sales boss or are you working for a sales leader? Right. And yeah, the leaders succeed consistently
0: yeah.
1: and manage to, you know, keep their people around. They have less churn of employees. They got people that perform at consistently higher levels. Again, not saying top producers. I mean we've got you know, the world <laughs> we, we 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 survive and thrive on the backs of the people that do well, right? Do good. Right. Um, right. Somehow, goods become a pejorative, right? It's it's like, oh, you're just it good. Is weird. you're just good at what yes. you do, um, as opposed to well, you realize good means above average, right? <laughs> just yeah. <FYI>. <laughs> so <laughs> don't get me started on that. Okay, That's another so, whole, so, whole pet peeve I have.
0: Oh my gosh! But see, so then the goal is to re-educate the sales bosses.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. Well, I, but I have a whole
0: chapter on sales management in the book. You do. Actually, you do. And, and it, yeah.
1: But it's it's um yeah, it's such a disservice. It's terrible that that companies do for their sales managers. Yeah. Um and it has nothing to do with whether you I in my mind whether you promoted your top performer and or whatever is just not enough done for them. And so They don't know, right? And I'm not insulting anybody who's in sales. Yeah, no,
0: I agree with you. It's just
1: not enough knowledge because you're not given it and we're not enabling it. Yeah, we we spent so much money on sales training and very little on sales management training. Yes, And I advocate, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I advocate that let's zoom Number I've seen is twenty billion dollars a year on sales training in the United States. Let's just—well, it's right or wrong. Let's just take that number, though. Okay. And the best I can tell is maybe ten percent of that amount is spent on training sales managers. Ooh. And so, what I would advocate—and people think I'm kidding when I say this, but I'm actually not—is that we take the eighteen billion we spend on sellers and spend it on sales managers, because yeah. Everything we've learned so far points to the fact that the single largest influence on individual sales performance is effective sales coaching and, and sales leadership from the yeah. from the frontline manager. So let's overinvest yeah. in that role and yeah. the people they report to. Let's overinvest in that because I've talked to some people that make a pretty eloquent point that says there's only so much training you can shove down a salesperson's throat, and at some point. Yeah, the law of diminishing returns really starts coming in. So, right. let just thinking that. that. Let's yeah. invest that money in, in the people that
0: really need it. Exactly. It, right. It, it, it's like, you, so you educate the frontline, but you don't educate the people who are supposed to be helping them and, you know, training them and being a resource for them. It, it's almost wasted money. In a lot of cases, it is wasted money because you know, like, I know the way that I train is about building relationships and doing all this stuff. Okay, well, if they're not going to be able to get support for that, the company just spent a whole bunch of money that they're not not—they're going to get no return from because they're, the salesperson is not going to be allowed to conduct themselves in that way.
1: Well, in some cases, or it's just that, you know, coaching is such a big thing, you know, in the last several years. I mean, it's, yeah. well, it's always been a big thing, but it's getting a lot of focus in the last several years because there's great tools like Ring DNA's uh, conversational AI product, where you can record calls. You actually could do real, excuse me, real-time coaching in the moment with the platform. Yeah. Um, coaching, effective coaching makes a difference. It but does. the tools themselves won't make it happen. Is there has to be a culture of coaching, there has to be a mindset of coaching. Excuse right. me, there has to be people that that understand how to do it effectively. Yes, and and yeah. Anyway, I just—it's always been thus. You know, it's I know big companies, major companies, historically Mm -hmm. have done a better job of of uh, you know training management types. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I had a guest on my show last year, gentleman named Peter Economy. He writes uh, for Inc. Magazine. Has wrote a book about management, uh, first time managers. Not specifically sales, but we you know, extrapolate into sales. But he yeah. he had found a study, and I'll ask you the question. So, on average, how old is a manager the first time they receive uh, leadership training? Fifty. No, it's a little <laughs> a little better than that. But yeah, it's like forty-two or forty-three, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got. Promoted, what my first management job? I was twenty three. Yeah, me uh, too. Leading a sales team, and it's like I got two weeks of training that was really pretty forgettable. (laughs) Um, And 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 that was it, because after that, I worked in a number of tech startups throughout the years, and not one iota. Of training, and that's continues today, right? I mean, yeah, they may bring somebody in, yeah, yeah spend a day, and then everybody forgets it. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's, um, yeah, we, we just don't invest in we those don't. people. So again, when I draw the distinction between bosses and 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 sales leaders, is that. it's not a function of them as humans. It's it's as right. how are we educating them?
0: So do you think part of the problem is we're having this conversation? I keep thinking that part of the problem is is that. The, the top leadership, if if they have no sales experience in their life and so they don't necessarily have an understanding of what it means to be a salesperson, what it's like to be a salesperson and all of that, that and they're the ones making the decision about what their expectations are of the sales manager, it, it, you know, can that be a place where there's a disconnect with, because then the sales manager, you know, as you said, you know, the sales manager's got a lot of pressure on them because, you know, they're getting edicts that aren't necessarily attached to what the reality of a good sales right. engagement would be.
1: Well, I, yeah, to some degree I think that's true. I think that, that I believe that it starts with this assumption that if we promote somebody into a role, they must have <laughs> the capabilities to do that role. Didn't and, we read that
0: is, book in the 80s? Don't we know that's not true?
1: Yeah. And and that's just not not the case. And let's take a very real example in sales. Is you know sales we're in a performance business, and you know there is a growing body of science about performance improvement, and it, you know several dimensions to it. No sales manager is trained in performance improvement yeah. science. No sales director is. No VP of sales is. But you can't go to a Professional sports team and find that they have nobody there that knows anything about performance improvement. Actually, they probably have a sports scientist on their staff who's was trained, maybe yeah. has an advanced degree in performance improvement. Um, so why do they yeah, and we probably, don't? Yet yeah, we're yeah you know, we're are sports, we're a business sport, sales. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I hmm. posted a, a posted on on LinkedIn this week. A post has got a fair amount of engagement about yeah. You know, I'm a fan of the show Billions because. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, mm-hmm. but a hedge fund, and one of the key employees of the hedge fund is the staff psychiatrist, <laughs> and the staff therapist. And I believe that you know if you have a sales team with more than fifty, maybe a hundred, you should have a staff psychologist. You should have a performance psychologist, if not on staff, on retainer that people can easily access. Mm-hmm. Oh heaven forbid! You know I've had people comment on the post. I tried to sell this internally, and they laughed at me. Right?
0: Yeah. It's because they don't understand what is involved in psychologically in being a salesperson.
1: Right, but you can't go to a professional sports team, which is a professional, you know, performance-based profession. You can't go to one that doesn't have a psychologist, if not on staff, on immediate retainer. I mean, most of them have on staff sports psychologists. Uh, Professional golfers. You know, keep them on retainer. Absolutely. Well, there's a reason for that. Cause yeah. and we're no different. We put sellers into a situation where they're there on their own. They're on the island. They have to perform. And yeah, yeah they're dealing with the stresses of you know everyday life and stress of, of performing and and maybe just the mm-hmm. mindset's not right. Hey, why why don't we do that? Yeah. Well, again, these people said as yeah, you know, the people at the top would say. Just hire another salesperson. I can't justify the ROI. It's like, are you kidding? I mean, you should probably very easily be able to justify the ROI. And it should be intuitively right. obvious to you that this is what you need to do. But, yeah, you know, sort of the we're still stuck in this sort of suck it up type, type era, right? Because we're
0: still stuck in this old paradigm of this is what it means to be a salesperson. Look at, look at car salesmen. They haven't changed and everybody hates buying a car. So what ends up happening? We end up with online. You know, Carvana comes out and says, "Okay, you don't have to deal with a salesperson. Just go ahead and do it on your own, and we'll be there to help you when you need it." And the dealership still can't figure that out. Well,
1: so I'm going to counter that argument though, because yeah, the, okay. the, two, the two best sales experiences I've had in the last two, three years are buying cars.
0: <laughs> and really? I've, oh, oh
1: yeah. I mean, I I think that there's a lot of people. So, so my my fear is that as someone who spent most of my career in tech, is that what's gonna happen in 10 years from now, when you look at popular culture, TV, movies, when they portray sort of the sleazy salesperson, it's no longer gonna be a car salesperson, it's gonna be a software salesperson.
0: Oh, wow, really? Do you really think so? Ooh.
1: I Yeah, my, my experience with sales, with car sales, buying a car, uh, and I've informally asked a number of people I know, and yeah, I mean, I did some of it online, uh, but in terms of sort of the pre-work and so on, but yeah, right. it's very clear with the salesperson what I wanted, um, not in terms of model, but what I wanted the experience to be, and yeah, he, he made it happen, right? Um, last time I went in, I I'd bought a car from this guy before, and because he had done a great job, or leased uh-huh. a car from him, and I so my lease was up. I was going to get a new one, and we've been talking. I said, "Well, I think I want to do, you know, the same one again or something similar." I said, "Great." I said, "Here's the thing. I we want to take care of this. I don't want to spend more than an hour in the dealership. I want it to be done." Yeah. He says, "Okay, I think I can do that." <laughs> Everything prepared wow. at a time, yeah, you know, papers easily signed. You go to the finance department, you had wired the or greased the skids there so they didn't, you know, because I said I'm not gonna buy any of the upgrades I didn't last time. Great. Yeah. So yeah, they just it's a great a great experience from a customer perspective.
0: Uh, well, the last time I bought well, when I bought my car, I had the same. I told the gal, it was a woman, and I said to her, Listen, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on. She heard everything I said. She responded appropriately. It was a great experience with her. And then when we went into the, well, then when they were figuring out, you know, the numbers, mm. I had to check them a couple times. And then when we went into the finance office, it was that pushy. I mean, the guy even said to me, what do you mean? You're not going to get this? It was just like <laughs> insulting. I was like, uh, no, but thanks, right? Keep well, it up, and I won't even buy the car. So,
1: right? So, I was just a shout out to the people who sell cars. Yeah, I've had yeah. great experiences. Um, yeah, I've had some bad experiences, but most of the bad experiences actually ended up being in the finance office, not not with the the seller, uh-huh. not with the person yeah. on the floor.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah, so. Anyway, that, yeah, try to work on that.
0: So, um,
1: (laughs) well, last thing, because we're, yeah, starting to get a little bit toward the end, but, um, (laughs) is I agree with you right about in the book that sales should be fun, right? This is again, rarely see this written about or talked about. I mean, I've been in it forever, and the only reason was because it's been fun. And I've, I've <laughs> wanted it to be fun. I've done the things to try to make it fun um, yeah. for myself and others. I mean, it doesn't mean we haven't had yeah. you know, pressure filled moments and yeah, drama and so on. But yeah. to your point, you'd write about the book is yeah, you, you learn something new every time you meet a new prospect, which I'm an insatiably curious person. I, I read voraciously. I just uh, I think that's the thing that sort of more than anything kept me in sales is meeting people that are doing Uh interesting things that I could learn something about.
0: Right. Right. You know, people tend to want to do things that are fun. So that's the other part of that. You know, yes, it should be fun and people are more likely to do it and go through the steps. But I'm with you. This is why I think curiosity is so critically important in sales, right? You just approach everything with curiosity because then you're present and you're learning and you're connecting or not?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, get into the right relationships.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you also talk about that too, which is which is you don't have to sell to everybody. Right.
0: <laughs> Tricky, one, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, but it's sometimes a mystery when you tell people that. Yeah, in my first book I wrote about it is that you know, you need, really need to serve I gave the sort of the metaphor is that you're like the bouncer at the head of the velvet rope. And you make a decision whether someone gets into the club
0: or not. That's right. That's right. And and not only are you allowed to, but it's your obligation to do it to your other customers, to your staff, to to your coworkers, to everybody. It, it's an obligation, I think, to do that because it keeps you out of those, those Client relationships where you don't make any money, no one's happy, no one's enjoying themselves, right? Including the customer. And it it just becomes a lot of work.
1: Well, let me ask you a hypothetical, because I've been asked this before, is, okay, you you develop a lead, and it looks like a pretty decent opportunity. Uh, Mm -hmm. Superficially, they seem like a, a match. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're just horrible people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you what do you do? I think for a lot of sellers that's that's a really hard decision. And I do too. Yeah, I think we've all had these, right? I died. Mm-hmm. Remember one client I had a, a a woman running this company, very successful when during the during uh I mean, the first half of the sales process, yeah, you know, learning a ton. She was that's a very successful entrepreneur and so on. But it was like a flip switch, or yes, yeah, switch flipped. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, suddenly it just got really dark. <laughs> and and it was one of these things where like, oh gosh, I think if we end up doing a deal with her, she's gonna find a way to sue us, right? It just sort of seemed that, that type of person. And ironically, she ended up doing it and got tossed out because she had no grounds. But, but um, afterwards, I was telling myself, yeah, I should have just said no. But at the time, right. I wanted right. the business.
0: I know. So it's, it's such a great question because we want the revenue. We need the revenue. So we convince ourselves, talk about convincing, mm. we convince ourselves that we'll be able to handle it or it really won't be bad or we're misreading or we'll make sure that, you know, we put systems in place to, to prevent whatever. And really, so, so what I re- say is, okay, yes, you need revenue, but what you really need is profit. And those pieces of business are not profitable in the long run. Because they end up eating up all of your resources mm-hmm. and keep you away from bringing in other business that is profitable. So that business actually hurts your bottom line, it doesn't help it. Yeah. And I think that can help people say, okay, you know what? I need to walk away from that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great perspective. That's, what, that's really, there's no metric for that. It's just your gut feel. Yeah. And, yeah, but you should and- go with it. Yeah, well, that's right. There's a lot to be said for gut feel, absolutely. Because uh, it's you're using it on all various parts of your selling process already, whether you're yeah. conscious of it or not. But, yeah, that is that is one that... And also, getting back to the topic of fun, is you know, if it's no longer fun dealing with them, even while you're selling to them, make sure you listen to your gut on that as well. Because, yeah, yeah. Not, not all money is equal.
0: No. And,
1: um, yeah, some money comes with a high price... And yeah, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Uh, yeah. That was just one instance. Um, yeah, I mean, I just remember <laughs> <laughs> at the time we had a, a a policy, the four hour response time on service calls. And if she, this woman, who's CEO, of this pretty good sized company, but she was personally invested in this, I would call me and say, oh, "We just put in a service call." I said, oh, "Great. Well, make sure they're right. All right." They're not here in four hours, we're suing you. Oh. This is a typical conversation. If they're not here in four hours, we're suing you. <laughs> and finally, after a few months of that, I I uh, yeah, I responded badly, I think. But uh, <laughs> I I told her to I I told her to get a number and stand in line. So uh, <laughs> when she did that and hung up on her. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, that, that is responding badly. But still,
1: yeah.
0: you're, she, you're allowed to fire stop, a she client. Stopped,
1: she stopped threatening me after that, at least. That was good. I'll bet.
0: Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, because she wasn't getting away with it at that point, Yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 I'd been yeah. aiding and abetting annoyingly. Yeah,
0: right. She's well, playing the game. Yeah.
1: I hadn't had kids yet, so I wasn't aware of the lessons that were being played, So <laughs> or the games that were being played. So, I got smarter over time.
0: Right. That is funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What Parenting Teaches You About Customer Relationship Management. Exactly. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Quite a bit, actually, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And employees. It teaches you a lot about a lot of things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) A Different conversation to go with that. Yes. All right. Well, Well, Diane, we're running out of time, but it's been a pleasure to talk with you. And if people want to learn more about your book and connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: I would say going to my website, hellbigenterprises.com. They can download a free chapter of the book. They can see all the stuff that's going on. They can connect with me through my social platforms there and all that fun stuff and uh, welcome conversations with anyone who might have questions about all right. how to sell them.
1: Good. Well, I uh, recommend people do that. And again, the title of your book was Succeed Without Selling. The more you think about selling, the less you will sell. And, and uh, great title, by the way. So, thank you. Diane, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Diane Helbig, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as we finish up here. So, thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.